What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 22 of the Mike and Dave Podcast. This is Dave, and this episode is is significant because we're actually recording this on February 22nd, 2022, and it's episode 22. So pretty weird there. That was definitely not planned that way. Pretty crazy coincidence. And it's also literally Tuesday. So we've just got all these twos for you. But this is Mike, and it's time to get the episode started right with Off the Top. Now, if you're keeping track at home, you know that it's my turn to bring the prompt. So I'm going to ask you the age-old question, which doesn't narrow it down at all because there are like a million age-old questions. But you're starting an NBA team. And I'm going to ask you this question like three three times or so. And I'm each time basically to make it more specific. But I want you to tell me you get to pick any player in the NBA to build your team around. So you get him on the contract that he's on right now. But you also can assume that he'll continuously re-sign with you. So like if his contract's about to expire, you'll have to re-sign him for like the appropriate amount of money. But you don't have to worry about like, oh, I don't trust his loyalty or whatever. So we're looking at like age, skill set, injury history. Those are like the main factors here. So you get any player in the NBA to build your franchise around. Who are you taking and why? Two names immediately came to mind for me. And I think it's between those two. It's between Giannis. Actually, three. It's between Giannis, Luka, Doncic, and John Morant. Those three. Uh, Giannis is still pretty young. I think he's 27, 26, 27. Um, and look at all what he's already accomplished. Uh, Luca and Jaw, I think, I mean, they're both still like 22, something like that. Um, they have really bright future. I mean, if you think about it, that's like four more years theoretically than Giannis would give you. And they're not on like as big of a contract, but I'm, I, I'm still going to go with Giannis um, just because he he gives you that the defense and the offense, and he's going to give you, he has that playoff experience, that finals experience, um, which Ja and Luka don't really have. Um, so that's what I'm going to go with. But I can I can definitely see the argument for, for Ja and for Luka. Maybe Jokic as well, but yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of all their games. Giannis is actually who I went with, and my reasoning was, like, we have, as of last year, we have literally seen that Giannis can have a team built around him and be successful. He is a, like, he's elite on both sides of the ball. And, yeah, he's younger than I am. <laughs> uh, he's, yeah, I think he turned 27, like, this past year. So, still pretty young. So, now I'm going to make it, I'm going to narrow it down a little bit. Same question. This time, the player you choose can't be an all-star because we just had all-star weekend. He can't have played in the all-star game. And just to add a little asterisk to it, the reason he didn't play this year can't be like injury in case you like, you weren't going to say Clay Thompson, but like you can't like sneak him or Kawhi in there. Zion is too risky. Um, 
the idea of Zion would be who I would pick, <laughs> but the actual Zion probably not. Um, I'm thinking Jalen Brown. Um, Jalen Brown is, I mean, he's a guy who could have potentially been an All Star. I think he has the capability of being the number one option, but I'm still not sold on that yet. Like Anthony Edwards, um, who is a guy who's still obviously really, really young. He's had two pretty good seasons. He's had a rough start to his career, but second half lit it up um, for the Timberwolves. He's had another good season so far this year. It's just being a guard in the Western Conference is pretty tough. <laughs> Darren Fox is another good one. But he's kind of had an up and down season this year. I'm going to go with Anthony Edwards. I think he has that it factor and he's going to keep getting better and better. And mine on that one was actually a toss up between two guys that you said, De'Aaron Fox. I would want to know like how much his lack of success is like, how much can we blame him for that? And how much can we blame Sacramento for failing to put a, a contending team around him? But Jalen Brown is where I ended up going. Uh, another like two way big guard, uh, he, I do believe he could be the a number one option on a championship caliber team in time. Uh, Jason Tatum seems flashier on that team, whereas Jalen Brown seems like a little safer, higher floor. Um, could potentially see him as a sort of diet Jimmy Butler. Uh, but last one this is the last way we're going to narrow it down. Can't be an all-star this year. Can't have extended the rookie deal yet. So it has, still has to be on that cheap rookie deal with no like, you know, Trey Young technically is on his rookie deal, but he's already been extended, so he'd be out. Although he's made the All Star anyway. So, well, Anthony Edwards is still on his rookie deal. I'm just going to go with Scotty Barnes. Call me a homer if you want, <laughs> um, but I really like his game. I think he's, I mean, he's still extremely young. Um, he's had a really good rookie season. I think him, Evan Mobley, Cade Cunningham have been the most impressive so far. Evan Mobley might be a decent shout too. Yeah, I like that pick. As long as you're willing to shake off that embarrassment he had on the first night of the All-Star festivities where he couldn't hit that floater. You know, I'm pretty sure he's still a teenager. Either that or he's like 20. So I'll give him a pass. Um, I think he'll he'll grow up some and... You know, if nothing else, it was just, he seems kind of goofy. So, you know, maybe he was just putting it on for the fans. I don't know. The personality. That's, that's it. Now, I like that pick. So, to recap, the number one guy you'd start your franchise with, Giannis. Love it. Then taking a guy that didn't make the all-star team this year, Anthony Edwards. Again, solid. Um, and then, uh, guy still on his rookie deal not having made the all-star game and not named Anthony Edwards because he, you know, still qualifies there going down to Scotty Barnes who, like you said, having a great rookie season. And that's sort of the direction I want to go with this too. Like looking at like rookie second year players that, you know, we don't have a full scope of just kind of going on gut. And so you went with your gut with Scotty Barnes. I like it. So we'll be asking this on social media as well. What kind of young players you would look to start your franchises with, whether that be like the big guys that are already making names for themselves, like John Morant or some of the uh, less 
appreciated players. Some of the guys that aren't making as much noise, but you think have potential. So be sure to let us know on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave pod. And when we come back, we'll be bringing back an old segment, which Dave, I know you like that's disrespectful. It's time for the long awaited return of that's disrespectful. And if you watched all-star weekend, then you might have an idea of, of what's coming. But Mike, what do you have to say about what we saw on Saturday night? Bruh. First of all, Obi Toppin won the dunk contest. Which, you know, just to bring up because, hey, I said he would on our last episode. And it's not every day or every episode that we get a prediction right. So there we go. However... Obi Toppin winning this year's dunk contest was like going to Tokyo and winning a spaghetti-making contest. Like, competition? I don't see any. To quote Nicki Minaj for some reason on this podcast. This dunk contest was pathetic. The worst of all time. Bar freaking none. Listen, y'all. So Dave came over to my house to watch All Star Weekend, like, together, right? In addition to just like hanging out, whatever. So, you know, we watched the three-point contest. It's dope. Of course, you know, we'll talk about that later. But, you know, we get to the dunk contest. We're getting hype because it's the dunk contest. My man Dave was falling asleep on the recliner. I kept like, I would be watching the dunk contest. And then I just like look down at my phone to text somebody back. Because I knew that I had time to do so. Because Jalen Green needs to take like, 27 attempts per dunk because he hasn't practiced and so does Cole Anthony Cole Anthony what in the absolute heck was he up to the whole like I'm put on the Tims with my dad's jersey on as like a a New York tribute uh cool can you like come out already wearing the Tims so that we're not like waiting literally like 10 minutes for you to put these shoes have you not have you like not tied your shoes before like it took I've never seen someone take so long to put on shoes and then you come out and your dunk sucks like there's nothing about the dunk that's impressive and Obi Toppin who's still a young guy and like seems to be fun loving is like pointing at his fictitious clock on his like watch on his hand because he knows it's taking too long and if you're cole anthony you're the first dunk of the night the place is supposed to be lit and everyone fell asleep watching you put on shoes uh dominique wilkins my man i have so much love for dominique quit being so generous what are you giving out nines for i'm assuming you thought they were sixes and that they were like inverted because these dunks sucked Juan Toscano Anderson, I, look, my man, I respect the story, okay? But you come out in the finals and you're like, I'm going to pay tribute to great dunkers. You're not one. You're you're out of your league there. Don't try to do the Vince Carter if you can't fit your elbow in the rim. You look like a fool. And then you follow it up with the most embarrassing tribute that I've ever seen in my absolute life, you you don the Jay Rich jersey because it's like, oh, he's he's the last warrior in a dunk contest, and he won two of them because unlike you, he's talented as a dunk contest participant, and you miss three times. My man, no. And, and then, you know, by rule, that gets straight sixes. Why? 
I know that you're not going to win with straight sixes because Obi Toppin could have just come out and done a layup and then won it. But on principle, don't give my man a 30 out of 50 for trying. He didn't try hard enough. He wasn't prepared. If he had prepared at all, he would have known he can't do the dunk. None of them could. Jalen Green, with going back to you, with your like, oh, I'm going to put my highlights on a chain and then like give it to Isaiah Thomas. He could have watched that whole video nine times because even after that, you like missed your attempts and you kept jumping up with the ball. It doesn't count as an attempt because I didn't go on a downward motion. Like this whole du- dude, we literally fell asleep. Like we um after the dunk contest, we had a little mini goal in my in my house, which we did like a carpet dunk contest. And that dunk contest was not only more entertaining, it took more skill than than anything I saw in the dunk contest. Obi Toppin had a nice dunk where he like straight up cleared the dude that he jumped over dude dude wasn't even that tall but i say as if i can jump over people but i will say the last dunk he did where he was like tap he tapped it with one hand against the backboard and then put it in that would have been cool if you could hold on to the ball the ball wobbled it it like more fell in than it did got dunked in this dunk contest sucked man it's so bad like you watch like Dunk League, right? And it's like, oh, there are some amazing flyers in the world. And then we get this. And I don't know how to fix it because stars don't really want to participate. They're using it as a, a way to like give these young guys chances. And the young guys don't even seem to take it that seriously. They didn't. They clearly did not practice those. And the only thing I can say to their defense is like Dunk Contest has been going on for like 40 plus or like 40 years, give or take, right? And at a certain level, it's like, you know, at what point have all these dunks been done? They're like possible. And so you have to rely more on like showmanship, creativity. There wasn't even that high level of showmanship. Sight, again, the Cole Anthony putting the crowd to sleep by watching him tie his shoes. Like, it was just awful. I don't know where we go from here next year, but next year has to be a banger. If we come out with anything remotely close to this, don't even bother. Like, forget it. At least next year, to, like, teach the NBA a lesson, make the three-point contest the last event. Because that, infin- that was infinitely better than this stupid dunk contest. I would have rather watched Facundo Campazzo and Sharif Cooper in a layup contest than this year's dunk contest. It was absolute trash. And to give the NBA fans that and call it a dunk contest, that's disrespectful. Very well put. The dunk contest is supposed to be, like, the main event of the evening to quote Bruce Buffer. Um, And it just flopped. I feel like sure. We're not going to have a Dominique Wilkins versus Michael Jordan or Zach Levine versus Aaron Gordon dunk contest every year. That's asking for too much, I think. But at this point, when it, when it comes down to these four guys are the guys that you come up with, for the dunk contest. Like, no offense, but Juan Toscano Anderson? This man had one good dunk in game. At this point, don't even make it an NBA player's event. Just get dunkers, like, professional dunkers to be in the dunk contest and, like, give them some airtime. Pun intended. Because what we saw was just, like, the skills challenge was was more entertaining. The celebrity game was more entertaining. And to be fair, the actual All-Star game was extremely entertaining. Um, So props to them for that. But like, 
you know, the dunk contest used to be such a, a you know, a hyped thing and people would get, you know, so excited for it and for good reason. I don't care if a dunk's been done before. If it's a new guy doing it and it's still like, they and they do it on the first try and it's still like a high degree of difficulty, I'm still going to be entertained. Like, I don't want to hear this whole like, well, everything's, you know, most dunks have already been done before. Like, I don't need to see necessarily anything extremely new. I just want to be impressed. And if it takes you more than like, honestly, more than one, maybe two attempts to do your dunk, then I'm you've already lost me. I, I mean, I already know what you're trying to do. It's obvious. Like, I'm just not impressed because you didn't do it on the first try. You know, I mean, it was just very sad. Like you said, I was getting very comfortable in that recliner and just kind of dipping in and out, honestly, because it was just, it was just boring. It really was. Um, so, you know, I mean, congrats to Obi Toppin. He was, he was the best of the worst. Um, uh, but I mean, it was just, like you said, it was disrespectful to, um, the legacy of the dunk contest, um, to, uh, all of the people, all those fans who paid however much money to get in the building, like it, it was a disgrace. Um, and I think the backlash has been, uh, so vociferous that the NBA is hopefully is going to look at it next year and be, and they're going to, I don't know if they need to up the prize money. I don't know if they need to provide other incentives like I said, get get non NBA players involved. All I know is something's got to change about this. Otherwise, it's just like I talk about the legacy of of the of the event. I mean, it's just going to become a joke, and maybe it already has been. I had a bad feeling from the beginning when Cole Anthony came out and did that stupid little dance. I know you'll agree with me in like being that like the old guy like screaming, yelling at the clouds or whatever, but freaking the TikTok generation, dude. It's like, we talked about like Jackson Mahomes and like the nonsense that like these dumb little TikTok dances. I don't know who to blame, whether it's like influencers or Fortnite or whoever I have to point a finger at. Stop dancing like a buffoon and dunk. It's the dunk con. I don't care about your little jig or whatever. Honestly. And again, it's Cole Anthony. Why is he there? All I know is like Zach Levine could have just jumped on the court, done one dunk and just blew them all out of the water and then just sat down. And that would have been it. You know, it's it's just kind of crazy that this is what it's come to. But what I will say, kind of moving on from the dunk contest and to the other uh, parts of All-Star Weekend, you know, the celebrity game is always a lot of fun. Like Mike said, the three-point contest was definitely the most exciting, um, of the, um, of those events. Although the skills challenge, I I will say like, I did, I did enjoy watching that. Um, it was an interesting format. It was kind of anticlimactic at the end when they hit the half court shot, like immediately, which was very impressive actually, to be fair, but it would have been more interesting if it took them a a while longer and you were just like waiting for it to go in. But I mean, I think three point contest skills challenge, both of them were entertaining enough. It was just the the thing that you come away from is the dunk contest with that bad taste in your mouth. Like, really? That was it? With the dunk contest, I'm not at all saying that, like, you have to get megastars involved. When Zach Levine first started, like, 
participating in the dunk contest, he wasn't a star. Like, he was just a young, athletic prospect. And he made a name for himself because he brought it. Aaron Gordon, same thing. Uh, So that's really where I'm coming from. Get guys that we know can produce. But I agree with you about the skills contest. It was an an interesting format. Um, I think deep down, I'm a bit of a a traditionalist. I kind of liked how they were doing it in the early to mid-2000s, where it was just like one point guard at a time. Typically speaking, I don't care if they have bigs, but whatever. Uh, but one at a time, you know, you run the course as fast as you can. Best time moves on, so on. But this one was cool. Uh, I have no issue with them doing this again next year. Um, shout out to the guys from Cleveland for winning that. I agree it was anticlimactic. It was it was really um, funny because both teams hit the, hit the shot in under like 15 seconds. And the NBA had like set... A, uh, a max time of a minute and a half. Clearly they didn't need it, but that, that is the one thing I'd change. If you want to add a half court element, do it, but maybe add like a course to run through, which you then cap off with the half court shot, which I think is similar to how they did it the previous time. Um, where, when they had like two guys racing and then you had to like make the half court shot first or something. Um, but anyway, like make make that the cap, but within a bigger run. Because what ended up happening was, you know, like you said, Cleveland hit it on the second shot. It was over in four seconds. It's like if you watch a Liam Neeson movie and he gets to like the final like villain or whatever. And what happens in every movie? He gets disarmed, then he disarms the other guy, and then they fist fight, right? Because then it takes longer. Imagine like if at the end of taken he didn't have to like actually fight someone he just like walked in and shot the guy in the face and then moved on it's like we've been waiting for an hour and 47 minutes for you to like punch this guy repeatedly in the face and like maybe like suplex him or something but this is all we get it's over like that there's no like you have all the build-up and not the drama so that's what i would change about it but the skills contest was cool three-point contest Shout out Carl Anthony Towns. We clearly did not think you had it in you um, to like eat some crow real quick. That is like the only guy that, where we were on this podcast last episode going, he's not going to win. However, to defend ourselves just a smidge, the the guy that you picked, Luke Kennard, and the guy that I picked, Trey Young, were the other two finalists. So like, you know... Two out of three ain't bad, I guess. One thing that I did not think about uh, when thinking about Carl Anthony Towns is his form. He doesn't really jump very, very far at all off the ground, which gives him a you know a much bigger advantage than somebody um, who has a much higher um, jump, which obviously is just going to take longer, and it also takes more out of you to do that every time rather than just jump up a little bit and shoot and then just grab the next ball and keep going. So, you know, shout out to towns. He proved us wrong. Um, you know, uh, Luke Kennard and Trey, they did their thing. Uh, so I'm not too upset with those picks. It's just kind of funny that the one guy we were like, nah, he's not going to do that. He actually came and did that. So, you know, fair play to, to towns for that. And moving on to the all-star game itself. Stephen freaking Curry, man, like, it's just kind of crazy how he makes, 
these shots that realistically only he can make at that consistent of a rate, but he makes it look so easy. Like anybody could just, you know, go out there and just chuck the, chuck these up and they'll go in. Like I was just in awe, um, watching him do his thing. And it's just a reminder that we are watching greatness. You know, um, we are watching the best shooter of all time. And, you know, by the time he's done, who knows where he'll rank in terms of the best players of all time. But in terms of of his performance Sunday night, I mean, obviously he he was a deserving MVP. Uh, you know, shout out LeBron for hitting that that shot at the end, calling for the ball like the captain and delivering, you know. Um, LeBron is clutch, it has to be said. But like Steph was just on fire and it was just one of those like every shot seems more ridiculous than the last shot but you just expect that it'll go in like there was one point where the announcer where like stuff like pump fakes from almost half court and trey young jumps at him <laughs> to, to try and and contest the shot because you just you feel like you have to contest him from there and then he just steps up into a just a slightly closer to the basket three and and nails it and the and the announcer's like you know stuff pump fakes from midcourt and that's like the only time like the that's the only player where you could realistically say that and it doesn't sound stupid um and then of course he like he makes the shot it was it was just a fantastic performance and just a reminder that like of his generation like i mean it's to me it's like it's lebron and it's steph yeah i think sports tend to work in terms of like eras right we just associate one or two players per era and then move on to the next and like it's lebron and and then steph uh when we when we're old we'll talk to our kids and grandkids and great grandkids you know god willing um about sports all we want but the the main ones that we're gonna highlight like our parents did with their players are going to be lebron steph kobe right um at least from like so far in our lifetime, those are the players that stick out above all others because they, they just do things that you like would never anticipate. And what's crazy about Steph is that he's just changed the game in terms of influencing the game. Like, I don't know that I'm ready to say he's a top 10 player of all time in terms of just like skill, like altogether, but I don't know how many players have changed basketball like he has. Honestly, like before he came in the league, we had mid ranges, we had, you know, dribble drives to the basket. Uh, and now it's, you got players on every team that want to pull up from 30 feet. And you have, like you said, you have guys jumping at you at half court because they think you'll pull it. Um, when I was growing up playing basketball, everyone would yell Kobe when, when shooting, right? And people wanted to like go at you one on one and, There'd be drives to the basket, maybe pull up for midi, whatever. You go to any park now, and it's just a bunch of kids that want to, like, get the rebound and then back up 30 feet and then shoot it and, like, look at the ground before, you know. He has changed basketball. And I don't know what the next change is going to look like, but the NBA is what it is in terms of, like, how the game is played because of Steph Curry. There's no way around it. 
And really, there, there have only been a few players throughout history who have introduced something like that. And the fact that it's happening in our lifetimes, that something about the game has changed so drastically because of one, pretty much one player. I just, I mean, you can't understate how uh, impactful Steph is to the game and to all of the players that are, you know, even current players, but like, like you said, kids, you know, teenagers playing in, you know, in, in parks across America, they're all trying to be like Steph and guys who aren't necessarily blessed with the most athleticism or the height. Shout out to Steph. Shout out to everybody who participated in the game. Um, and the format I thought was, was pretty interesting. And, you know, when it comes down to the final shot, that's what, to me, that's kind of what basketball is all about. Um, and the fact that the all-star game and sure they only really started actually playing in the, in the last few minutes, but I don't necessarily mind that too much as long as it's close at the end, the last five minutes. And, um, you see these guys, you know, playing hard and showing their, their talent, then I'm good with it. So, uh, that, that definitely saved the, <laughs> saved the weekend, I think. Um, cause sure. Everybody was, still clowning the dunk contest, but at least you had, you know, LeBron hitting the, the fadeaway Steph with the 50 points, um, you know, John Morant with, with a couple of his crazy dunks, uh, shout out to Trey for just throwing lobs the entire game. That's all he did really. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was cool. Um, and you know, now we're going to get back into, uh, the home stretch of the, of the regular season um, and soon it'll be playoff time. So I'm looking forward to that. Of course, we're preparing for the playoffs, but so are plenty of, so are several teams around the league in preparing for the playoffs or their futures, depending on where their teams are at. We had a lot of trades around the league. And when we come back, we're going to break down some of the standout trades. So we had the NBA trade deadline. And of course we have to talk about, all the important trades, and let's just kick it off. We'll work our way up to the most recent. We're going to start with this one. Trailblazers get um, Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, and Keon Johnson, and a 2025 second-round pick, woohoo, from the Clippers, and they send Norman Powell and Robert Covington. So, Dave, what do you think about this one? What are, what are some of our takeaways here? Both of these teams are in kind of a similar position where their best player uh, is presumably going to be out for the rest of the season with Kawhi Leonard and Damian Lillard. Uh, I think the Clippers getting Norman Powell, that this was the best player in this deal. Uh, Norman Powell, I think, is a guy who can fit at shooting guard uh, with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard occupying both of the forward spots. And Norman's going to be under contract for the next few seasons so he, he kind of fits with that core um, and Robert Covington is a guy who you know he's, he provides depth especially while Paul George and Kawhi are out and then the Trailblazers you know they take a flyer on Keon Johnson on Justice Winslow these are guys with potential who you know I'm sure they'll get a lot of playing time moving forward for the rest of the season and the Trailblazers will get to kind of see what they have there um, but I don't know. Trailblazers, are they going to blow it up? What's going to happen with Lillard? I don't know. 
Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, none of this is going to like, you know, wow anybody. This isn't going to fix any major problems on either team. I'm kind of shocked that the Blazers got rid of Norman Powell. Maybe they see, you know, a ton of potential in Keon Johnson. We did like go off on him, go off about him after the draft. He like had a great showing there, but you know, that's just a ton of athleticism. So maybe he'll develop, but like I said, this doesn't really change a whole lot for either team in a significant way. Now, the opposite end of that, moving on, we get the Cavs getting Karis LeVert from the Pacers and a 2022 second round pick. And they send two second round picks and a first round pick to the Pacers and Ricky Rubio, who, as you know, injured, not going to play out the rest of the year. I like this trade. Uh, at least, like I like it for the Cavs. Uh, they see that they're doing well this year. Uh, we see Darius Garland having a great season, making an all, making the All Star team. Jared Allen making the All Star team. Um, the Gobert of the East. Uh, Evan Mobley having a great rookie season, and they like lean into this success. Um, very something Cleveland is not used to doing. Sans LeBron, and they get another proven like scorer in on the wing in Karis LeVert. Uh, from that perspective, I like this trade. I actually like it from the Pacers' point of view more. Um, Karis LeVert has had some injury issues in his career, some of which, I mean, of course, you can't really control injuries, but some of it wasn't even like about basketball. Um, so I think the Pacers have to be pretty happy with the return that they got. I mean, a first-rounder and two second-rounders. The Pacers are a team that are, you know, as we'll get to more in a minute, they're a team that's looking for the future. Um, and Lavert probably wasn't a part of their, of their plans and he never really played his best basketball in Indiana. So especially with Chris Duarte there as their presumed shooting guard of the future, I think it made sense to ship off Lavert, who will have a, a, you know, a role for the Cavs, an important role for the Cavs and, I think this kind of works out for both teams, but I think I actually prefer what the Pacers got in this trade. But still, I think it made sense for both teams. Now, moving on to the next trade. This is a big one. The New Orleans Pelicans get CJ McCollum, Larry Nance, and Tony Snell and give up. Let me take a breath. Josh Hart. Tomas Sadoransky, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, someone named D.D. Luzada, a first-round pick in 2022, and two second-round picks. So this was a, you know, a bunch of assets that the Pelicans gave up to get, obviously, the best player in the deal, C.J. McCollum. Um, we mentioned the Trailblazers earlier, kind of like, what what is their plan? And I think Lillard is still like the, the key of the deal, but I mean, giving up Norman Powell, giving up Covington, and now CJ McCollum, who's shared the backcourt with Lillard for quite a few seasons now. You People were wondering, would they end up breaking up that backcourt? And they have. Um, Mike, what are your thoughts about um, this from the Pelicans' perspective and the Trailblazers' perspective? If I'm the Trailblazers, or if I'm a fan of the Trailblazers, it seems too late. Like, 
Lillard's dealing with injury, but you know, he's he's not gonna he's not on that upward trajectory anymore, right? He is gonna presumably start taking steps down if he hasn't already. And I don't I th- it's hard not to think that they wasted Damian Lillard by not taking a chance on splitting up that backcourt that people across the league were saying wouldn't win a championship. Now they get rid of McCollum and they bring in Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Josh Hart. So young guys. Didi Luzada, who got suspended for 25 games for violating the league's drug policy and is now injured. So um, do with that what you will. Um, And then future picks. And Lillard still wants to be there, but this very much feels like Trailblazers giving up. So it makes me wonder what's next for Lillard. From the Pelicans' perspective, you get a proven guard in CJ McCollum uh, to pair, I guess, with Zion Williamson if he ever reaches out to him and talks to him. Uh, You know, you... You can't really convince me that Zion's a great player to build your franchise around, but on paper, I like this more for the uh, Pelicans. Well, and Brandon Ingram, yeah, <laughs> who's probably who's actually you know playing for them. Um, yeah. You know, the Trailblazers. I think they're in an interesting spot. Um, the emergency, the emergence of Anthony Simons for them this year probably made McCollum a little bit expendable considering how young Simons is and the fact that they're paying McCollum a decent amount of money. Um, You know, Josh Hart is a guy who I really like. He's been traded multiple times already in his young career, but I think he's a guy who can, you know, be a role player on a championship caliber team for sure. Um, And with that first round pick this year, depending on with, you know, where the Pelicans end up, which is probably not going to be making the playoffs, then, they could have two pretty high up selections in the draft along with Simons and theoretically Lillard. And if they trade Lillard, I mean, you can only imagine the Kings ransom they would get for that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Lillard, like we keep saying, but I can see kind of where the trailblazers are going in terms of building for the future and then either have Lillard be a part of that or completely break it all down and just have a, King's ransom worth of assets um, for him. Now, moving on to the next trade. This was a pretty big one between the Kings and the Pacers. Pacers get Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. Kings get Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a second round pick in 2027. And this is another one of those, I mean, the, the two main guys, Halliburton and Sabonis, I mean, these are two guys who, I mean, are already very capable and star players, I would say, in the league, but they're still pretty young. Um, and I think for the Kings, this was their attempt of, of, of getting a, uh, a running mate for De'Aaron Fox. And with all their bigs that they have, Sabonis is by far the best. So, and then for for the Pacers, it's being able to get a guy like Halliburton, um, who has shown 
you know, major promise in his first couple of years in the league. Like, I think they've got to be happy with that, especially when you consider them trading away Levert and then still having Miles Turner, where the Sabonis Turner um, front court was, you know, tenuous at best. I think this gives them a, a different kind of player to build around. That they're excited about. In my mind, the Pacers won this. I I liked Demontis Sabonis. I'm just mad at Sacramento for trading Tyrese Halliburton. And the reason for this is he had, you know, previously come out and said multiple times that, you know, he's excited about being in Sacramento and he wants, he knows it's going to be a rebuilding process and he wants to be a part of it. In my mind, like this is more, it's more than just loyalty here. I'm, I wouldn't really have the same exact perspective if this were like Miami, LA, New York. When you're in a a team that's just that perennially struggles to get players to come uh to to play for you, uh you struggle to like make any postseason noise if you make the playoffs at all. Uh you don't have have the best history of drafting necessarily. If players say they want to play for you, even through the hard times, those are the players you need to keep because you don't have a history of pulling good players from elsewhere. And we know like draft picks aren't slam dunks. If you draft a great player like Tyrese Halliburton that's proclaimed like he wants that he would be loyal to you throughout like the rebuilding process, in my mind, that's a player you keep if you're Sacramento. But again, like I'm not shading DeMontis bonus. I, I I get why they want him to like pair with to pair with De'Aaron Fox. I think it's a good match. I just don't like ditching Tyrese Halliburton. To think that the Pacers got him and Buddy Heald and Tristan Thompson's still a quality rebounder. Uh like in my mind the Pacers won that for sure. I mean it is the Kings, so who knows what they're gonna do, let's be honest. Yeah, certainly not the Kings. Now Moving on, we get a three-team deal. So, Tomas Sadoransky gets dealed again from Portland to San Antonio. The Jazz get Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who we just mentioned uh, earlier, having gone from New Orleans to Portland. Jazz also get Juancho Hernan Gomez. And then the Trailblazers get Joe Ingles from Utah. And Elijah Hughes in a second round pick. Whatever. Now, if I could propose a theory, and maybe it's just a hope. So Joe Ingles isn't going to play this season. And it's the last year on his deal. So odds are Trailblazers won't re-sign him. I'm guessing this is just like a move to like clear up salary. Maybe they go after a big piece, you know, having shed McCollum's contract and then using these other trades to like clear up some salary space. Maybe they are in a position to pursue a big a big name this summer. And what I would love to see happen is for Joe Ingles to then sign a contract, a new contract with the Jazz. Like, you know, just they were all in cahoots the whole time. Like, they're just like, all right, Joe, listen up. You couldn't play for us anymore this season anyway. We're going to we're going to trade you in quotation marks. They're going to cut you. You'll sign back with us next year. Don't even sell your house. Just keep living in Utah. We got you next summer. We just we're, we just want to get another like young asset real quick. And 
and then he like signs with them next year. I think that would be amazing. I, I somehow doubt it, but I would love to see it. All right, so moving on, we've got the Celtics and the Rockets making a trade. The Celtics get back Daniel Tice, and the Rockets get Dennis Schroeder, Inez Freedom, formerly Inez Cantor, and our our old friend Bruno Fernando. And this is just a weird one for me. You know, we've made jokes about Dennis Schroeder turning down all that money um, and then signing a, a one-year contract with the Celtics. And now the Celtics trade him. It's just kind of like it's just gone from 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 bad to worse for Dennis Schroeder, especially getting traded to the Rockets. I mean, come on. Um, but it's just kind of weird from this from the Celtics point of view. Like Daniel Tice, I don't know if anybody has told the Celtics, but he's not that good. Um, and the Rockets apparently thought he was because they gave him a pretty big contract, and they have to be pretty excited about getting out of that. And you know, taking on Schroeder. And as freedom and Bruno Fernando is just kind of like whatever at this point, it's not going to, you know, they aren't any long-term deals or anything. It's not going to affect them too much. It's more of just getting that Daniel Tice contract out of the way because that was obviously a mistake. But for some reason, the Celtics love him and think that he can make a, a difference for him. Yeah, I don't know that he can. <laughs> um, but, you know, if Boston wants to do silly things, let Boston do silly things. Um my like optimistic bright spot here is the Rockets are sitting here like, Hey, we got Bruno Fernando. This is our chance to like, you know, gauge his potential. If we want to keep him as a, as another like long-term big, like Christian Wood. you know, just kind of like, if you're the Rockets, you can literally just kind of throw stuff at the, at the wall to see what sticks. This is them getting out of that tie steel. Like you said, getting a young guy like Fernando, getting a, getting Dennis Schroeder on his self-made idiot deal. You know, just do whatever you want. See what happens. I don't care. All right. So next up, we got this four-team trade. So let's just get into it. Uh, you get the Bucks. They get Serge Ibaka from the Clippers. They get a second-round pick from Sacramento. They got a second-round pick from Detroit, which if you're going to get second-round picks, those are good teams to get them from. <laughs> And then you get the Clippers getting Rodney Hood from Milwaukee, Semi Ojale from Milwaukee, Vanya Marinkovic from Sacramento. <laughs> Woohoo. Kings get one of my least favorite players in basketball in Dante DiVincenzo uh, from Milwaukee. They get Josh Jackson from Detroit. They get Trey Lyles from Detroit. They get a second round pick from Detroit. Again. If you're getting a second round pick. Uh, although I don't think that one is originally Detroit's. And then the Pistons get Marvin Bagley. So I guess I'll start this off. Good for Sacramento. You know, like you get you get DeMontis Sabonis, and then you make a good decision. You go, oh, let's uh we have like the power forward that we actually want to roll with. So let's like get something for this other power forward who just became expendable. And if you're Detroit, maybe you see like, you know, was it like how much can we get out of this guy? Can we like, what? how much potential can we see out of him? Can we like make him a part of our like long-term goal? Is he going to like fit super well with what we're trying to do here? Because if you're Detroit, there's no rush because you suck and everyone knows you suck. Yeah. You know, Bagley, maybe it was just a Sacramento thing. Who knows? Um, 
but good for the Pistons for just kind of seeing what they can, you know, they didn't really give up too, too much. I mean, Josh Jackson and Trey Lyles are kind of like whatever at this point. Um, you know, see what you get with Bagley. The Clippers getting Rodney Hood and Simi Ojale, whatever. Um, DiVincenzo on the Kings is pretty interesting. Just kind of gives them another young player who's shown potential um, to add to that rotation. And then the Bucks getting Ibaka. Uh, they, you know, they have been a little short at... Uh, at power forward slash center, especially with Brooke Lopez not being able to play pretty much this whole year. So he fills a need there for them. And, you know, they also get these second round picks, which could help in the future too, or maybe facilitate a different trade. So, you know, in terms of who got the best out of this, you know, I think the Kings getting DiVincenzo, Trey Lyles, Josh Jackson. I mean, you, at this point, the Marvin Bagley situation just isn't, they don't have much leverage there, so just getting him out of there, getting a player like DiVincenzo in return who could actually, you know, fulfill a a role for them on, on their team moving forward, it makes sense. Now, moving on to the Charlotte Hornets and the Washington Wizards. They made a deal on deadline day. The Hornets get Montrez Harrell, Wizards get Ish Smith, Vernon Carey Jr., and a second-round pick. And for the Hornets, this is them getting a productive uh, big. Other than P.J. Washington and Mason Plumlee, they haven't really had too many other bigs who have been able to uh, either see minutes or, or be productive in those minutes. So it makes sense for the Hornets to to add that. And then giving up Ish Smith, Vernon Carey Jr. I mean, these aren't guys who are doing too, too much for them. So I think it made sense for the Hornets to pull the trigger on this move. Additionally, the Hornets are going to start looking at playoff pushes this year, next year. They have that exciting young team that we've talked about before. You add a guy that can give you quality minutes, but also has playoff experience from his time on the Clippers. So I like the move from that perspective as well. We also get Derek White going from the Spurs to the Celtics. And the Spurs get back. Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, a 2022 first-round pick, and a first-round pick swap in 2028. I like this more for the Celtics. I think um, if you're the Celtics, your first-round picks aren't usually that high, and Derek White has has shown plenty of promise. Um, and if you're moving from Dennis Schroeder to Derek White, in terms of guards, you're upgrading already. And Derek White's still plenty young to, like, look towards the future with. I, I like that a lot for the Celtics. You consider pairing like adding him, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and apparently Daniel Tice, and he got a core. Yeah, I actually don't mind this from the Spurs perspective. I feel like they have a ton of shooting guards who barely get any minutes for them. I mean, they've got, they've got Devin Vassell. They still have Lonnie Walker is just chilling for them. Um, I think Vassell is, is kind of ready to potentially fill that starting position where Derek White was, and he's still on his rookie contract where White signed that extension. Um, it makes sense. Celtics get more of a um, playoff-ready player in the Spurs. Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, like, that's fine. But looking at the first-round pick that they got, as well as clearing out some room for some of the younger players, I and mean, I didn't even mention Josh Primo, too. He's also a, 
a guard for them. So there's just kind of a log jam at that position. And they got a first round pick for their troubles. And like, sure, Derek White's a good player, but it's not that big of a, of a deal to, to get rid of him, especially for the return that they got. So the second last trade that we're going to talk about is a pretty big one. Uh, kind of of a surprising move where Kristaps Porzingis gets moved from the Mavericks to the Wizards along with a future second round pick. And the Mavericks in return get Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertons. Mike, what was your reaction when you saw this trade? Stop me if you've heard this before. But we had Porzingis not really working out like fans had hoped on his team. Right? Uh, we saw it in New York. Now we're seeing it in Dallas. It just wasn't a great fit there. So they move on from him. Uh, and pretty much the same thing from the Wizards' perspective in terms of like getting Spencer Dinwiddie. It's not really working out like they wanted it to. Um, they just kind of like trade those uh, in a sense like, eh, maybe y'all will do better with this than we did. Whatever. Uh, let us try to use your like recyclables a little bit. Uh, Mavericks also get Davis Bertons, who is a proven sniper that they can pair with Luca, uh, which I like. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, if they can, if they can convince that man to come off the bench, that gives them a good spark plug when Luca isn't there creating offense, or at least like use them somewhat in like intermittently. I think that would be like a great way to have some offense continue to flow through or give them someone through which the offense can flow. I I like this one from both perspectives, fresh starts and Mavericks get the fresh start plus Davis Bertans. I'm, I'm on board with it. Yeah. I think I like it slightly more from the Wizards perspective, just because Porzingis is still the best player. Um, though at some point it's kind of like, well, it's kind of like the, uh, Spoiler alert, James Harden effect, where it's like, you keep getting traded, even though you're talented, maybe there's something more to this. Like you said, Porzingis just didn't really work out with the Mavericks. I think they, if they were going to trade him, they probably could have gotten better than Spencer Dinwiddie and Bertons. Uh, that's, that's where, from the Mavericks perspective, I'm kind of like, really? I mean, I feel like Porzingis still had some value. Um, sure, he's he's had some injury problems, but like that just comes with the player, we already knew that that was the case. So I think they probably could have gotten more unless they just love the fit of Dinwiddie and Bertons, which fair enough. But I mean, to me, Jalen Brunson has actually has been playing really well for them. He kind of fits that, uh, that spot next to Doncic at shooting guard. Um, so I don't know. Maybe like you said, maybe Dinwiddie comes off the bench. I don't know. Um, but I, I like it for the wizards just because, they're not giving up too, too much in terms of like guys who are going to be in their future plans. And, you know, maybe Porzingis being in Washington is going to, you know, we're going to see the, the old Porzingis where he was, he was dominating for that season or two um, with the Knicks way back in the day. That's certainly optimistic, (laughs) Um, but you, you already know the wizards are hoping hard for it. I think the Mavericks, have the sort of safer end of this where like it's it's going to be like harder for this to go wrong the higher floor if you will but the wizards sort of have the higher ceiling of this deal like you said Porzingis is the best player here he's the unicorn and if this works out and he like has a career renaissance in Washington 
then that's fantastic for them. And relative to what they gave up, it's a huge win. But if we keep seeing like a similar thing from Porzingis that we've kept seeing, then Mavericks look nice for getting rid of it, getting solid players. And, and you know, maybe this was um, the Wizards' way of trying to convince Bradley Beal to stay. They're like, you know what, Porzingis, he's, he can be your, you know, the the beta tier alpha type of thing. And sure, maybe it didn't work with Doncic, but maybe it'll, you know, he's still, he's going to be the second best player on that roster now. So maybe that's just part of their pitch to try to get Beal to resign. I don't know. And it is a sexier um, beta than, like, if you're looking at a big to be that, it's sexier than Montrez Harrell. So moving on, we have the big one. You all knew it was coming. It was only a matter of time. And by that, I mean us talking about this. Because I, I did not know that this was coming. I was certainly skeptical of it. The 76ers. They did it. They got rid of Ben Simmons. And Seth Curry. And Andre Drummond. And a first-rounder for this year. And a first-rounder for 2027. And they got... Wait for it. Paul Millsap. And James Harden. So, Dave, I want you to go first on this. Because... I need a second to reel myself in on all the things I I want to I want to try to say. Okay. First things first, I think the Nets absolutely win this hands down. I think getting Ben Simmons um sure we could we've talked plenty on this podcast and I'm sure you've heard many other people in the media talking about this about Ben Simmons shortcomings, but at the end of the day, he is when he is engaged, when he is motivated, he is a very, very good defender. He is a great rebounder. He's a great passer. And I think he is a great fit with Kevin Durant. And when he plays Kyrie Irving, not only that you get Drummond, who is still a very capable big who I think could potentially start for them or not be a, you know, coming off the bench, playing 20 minutes and getting potentially getting a double double in those 20 minutes. And you get Seth Curry. If Joe, if Joe Harris gets healthy, you have two all world shooters with him and Seth. And you're, you're putting those around ball dominant players and Durant and Kyrie and sure Ben Simmons kind of needs the ball to be successful, but maybe he'll like, he'll just be an active cutter and he'll be able to facilitate the offense when, you know, when Durant isn't playing and when Kyrie isn't playing, which is half the games anyway. Um, I just love it for the, for the nets being able to not only get all those, but then they also get two first rounders as well, which they could of course use to, to draft and get, you know, young talent at a fairly inexpensive rate, or they can use, those two first rounders to try to get another star player, you know? Um, and James Harden, he didn't want to be there anyway. Um, from the Sixers perspective, I think it makes sense too. Um, obviously Ben Simmons wasn't going to play for them anymore. He made that very clear. And you get a guy in James Harden who theoretically 
is a top 10 player in the NBA to pairing him with another top 10 player in Joel Embiid. That's a, that's a duo right there who could potentially, you know, lead you to an NBA finals appearance. But both of those guys, Embiid and Harden have major question marks surrounding them. James Harden's motivation, Joel Embiid's health, you know, um, and James Harden, I mean, how many times, like, this is just deja vu over and over again. He's just never satisfied with, <laughs> he goes to what could be one of the most stacked teams in history. Of course, they never really got to play any games together in the Nets. And he's just, he's like, nah, this isn't for me. Um, it's just kind of crazy. But I mean, I think it makes sense for, for both teams. I didn't want to see this happen, to be honest. Um, I think it makes the Nets better. And it makes the Sixers better, which as a Hawks fan, I don't love to see the arguably the, you know, the second and third best teams after the Bucks um, in the East get, get stronger. But I think for both teams, it does make a lot of sense. Of course, there's, there's some risk involved with, with both parties here, but overall, I mean, I can see why they did this, but the two first rounders in addition that to what you know everything else that the Nets got, I think that just makes them the winners in this trade. My mind is still blown. And it's not like we just got this news. I've had like twelve days to soak this in. Uh yeah, the Nets I think won this trade, um, in terms of like who came out better. But I'm gonna try and make a little bit of an argument for the Sixers. How how does it how are they better off? Um, or like, how is this? How do I see it as a bigger positive for them than I see it as a positive for the night uh, for the Nets? Um, I you've heard me say before, maybe not on this podcast, but I know in conversation that I wouldn't trade a half-eaten bag of chips for Ben Simmons because you just don't know is he going to play? Can you play him in crunch time? Um, no pun intended with the chip thing. Uh, is he going to like buckle under pressure? Uh, and finally, I still have to pay him all of this money to not be able to play him in the, in the, like in the clutch, all this. Right. And he had so much leverage there only diminishing his value. And somehow the Sixers still get James Harden who when motivated is a proven star. The reason though, that I'm going to say like, I'm super impressed with the Sixers, is what have we been hearing all year from Daryl Morey? Against everyone's best advice, I want a James Harden-type deal. And I was just like, oh, well, that's just because it's Daryl Morey, and he's, like, thirsty for some James Harden because he, like, was there in Houston, and he's, like, madly in love with Harden or the beard or something. I don't know. He's got, like, the posters on his wall, something. He's like, I want James Harden. I want James Harden or something similar. And everyone's like, dude, you're tripping. He gets not a James Harden type player. He gets James Harden. He literally got exactly what he wanted for like an all time low value asset in Ben Simmons. I, I don't know if you have like sorcerers working in Philadelphia or how, how that got turned around. I mean, I'm, I am looking at like, you know, they have to they add like the first round, the two first round picks. They add Seth Curry. They add Andre Drummond. It just seems really convenient 
that James Harden like had a hissy fit when he did, you know, and diminished his value too, so they could actually get him. Yeah, this this pick does make both teams better. Which, like you said, if you're a Hawks fan, it's like, damn it. If you're a fan of any team in the NBA other than those two teams, you don't like to see that. Yeah, really. But if I'm if I'm a Sixers fan, I'm like throwing a party. Like, oh, we really got out of that Ben Simmons thing. I mean, it, it costs some, right? Like, I'm not dismissing that, but like just looking at how shitty that situation had gone or had gotten, congratulations. And we can finally stop talking about it. Well, until Ben Simmons and Harden make their debuts and then who knows, maybe they eventually face each other in the playoffs, which to be fair, would be a pretty cool narrative. Um, yeah, but you know, overall it was a more action packed trade deadline than I expected which is pretty obvious considering all of the trades that we just laid out. And there were some other minor deals that we didn't talk about as well. So that's going to wrap up our trade deadline extravaganza. Uh, sorry that it's a little bit late. It just, you know, apparently the NBA doesn't make their trade, their trade deadline around when our podcast goes out. So, you know, whatever. Give it time. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, But when we come back, we'll get into the hot seat and the fun fact to close out the show. All right, so if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, then you know that Mike is a big Michigan fan. And fortunately or or unfortunately, somebody from Michigan finds himself on the hot seat this week and it's Michigan basketball head coach and former player, Juwan Howard. Mike, what's your reaction to what happened the other night? That's my coach. No, all kidding aside, dude, my man out here throwing punches at coaches, which is better than throwing punches at players. So, my guy. Um, we, we had this... Uh, you know, so skirmish at the end of the Wisconsin game. And I still want to get a little bit more of a breakdown on what precipitated this, but you know, um, you had Wisconsin, uh, head coach, Greg guard calling a timeout with, you know, the game's over at this point. They're up by, I think 14 at the time, uh, calling a timeout with like under a minute left on the clock presumably to like clear something like clear stuff up in terms of their execution. But dude, save it for practice. Like that's disrespectful. Um, what I read is that Michigan was still trying to do their like full court press, even though the game was over. And so he was just calling a timeout to like try to advance the ball. And like, you know, if Michigan was going to do that, then he was going to play their game type of a thing. I mean, fair, but <laughs> Anyway, uh, I'm bringing this up because, like, if Jawan Howard perceives that as, like, if he perceives that as disrespectful, like, maybe that's what leads into this. We can, and we can, like, say, well, maybe you shouldn't be pressing your guys then. But Jawan Howard's not interested in talking to Greg Gard after the game, who then, like, stops him. Like, he, like, puts his hand on him. Like, I'm not saying, like, punches him or anything, but, like, 
the contact was initiated there. And then like, this all sounds like I'm defending Juwan Howard. I'm more like creating context. Juwan Howard was wrong to punch. Sure. Not Greg Gard. After like some separation, you know, players came in, other coaches came in to like separate them and everything. Juwan Howard goes back into it and swings and hits one of Wisconsin's assistant coaches. Um, and he was absolutely wrong to do that. I'm not defending that in the slightest. Um, he's been suspended five games. If, and this is a big if, but if Michigan makes it to March Madness, it sounds like he'll be able to coach there. I mean, this should be a moot point because I don't think we're going to get that far this season. It just hasn't been our season. There are too many bigger threats in the Big Ten. But even if we do make the tournament, in my mind, this penalty isn't strict enough. I think that they should have had they should have added like if we make the tournament he shouldn't be able to coach there um maybe we have like suspensions going like extending into like the beginning of next season or you know uh he got hit with a forty thousand dollar fine maybe you like up that a little bit i think the the punishment was too lenient i don't know that i would have called for him to be fired right away but I, I do think the, the punishment was a little lax because um, you can't do that. Uh, in addition to the fact that it's like you're literally hitting somebody, your job as a coach, first and foremost, is to be a leader of men. And in college, we're talking about guys between the ages of like 18 and 22. Um, we've talked on this podcast before about like coaches that aren't fit to do that, whether that's um, Gruden or Urban Meyer. And that extends to Juwan Howard as well. Um, one thought that I had was like, my man John Beeline would never. But should he be fired? No, but it, it could have been a harsher punishment than this. And it probably should have been, if we're being honest here. Because that, that just can't happen. Yeah. Um, I think you mentioned John Gruden and Urban Meyer. I think they had a... Um, it was a trend. It was a, it was something that was just a part of who they were. I don't necessarily blame somebody for like losing their cool and throwing a punch. That's like, I can understand that happening, especially in that type of situation where Juana Howard probably knew that like that loss could potentially be the reason why they don't make the tournament. Um, And as the head coach, like you said, it's supposed to be about leading men. But also there's that pressure of like Michigan is a pretty big basketball school and not making the tournament is a pretty big embarrassment. And as the head coach, he takes the, you know, the most responsibility for that. So I'm sure that that had something to do with it as well as Wisconsin. You know, I'm sure they had something to say about that too. You know, Um, it's not like these teams really like each other. So, you know, I, I agree. He shouldn't be, if they do make the tournament, he shouldn't be allowed to, to coach, but I'm, I'm kind of a guy who's like in the heat of the moment, things can happen. And like, sure. You need to be able to control yourself and set a good example, but I can, I can at least see where he's coming from. It's not like he premeditated, like I'm going to punch this guy in the face um, type of thing. It was just a, a gut thing. And like, sure. If this happens again, then he probably should be let go. But I'm kind of the of the idea that like give you know give him another chance, give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit, and like sure, fine him, um, suspend him, all of those things because you need to sh- you need to come down with a firm hand to show that you're not going to tolerate this. But 
at the end of the day, it was just a one-time thing, hopefully. Um, and, you know, he came out and said that, he, you know, he apologized. He, he definitely, you know, just lost his cool and he shouldn't have done that and it will not happen again. So those are just words, but, you know, we'll, we'll see going into next season, theoretically, assuming that he's still the head coach there. Um, but there's just going to be a, a lot more scrutiny on him now. And that's fair. Like once you lose your cool, then you're going to have that scrutiny. But I agree with you. Like in a, in a one-time thing, that's what separates him from the other examples that it, we haven't seen this before in this setting from him. Um, we'll see. Hope, hopefully he does get that, that chance next year. Um, I certainly hope so. I think the players really like, like and respect him. Um, they seem to have rallied behind him. Not just now, like in, while he's been there. Uh, I think he is good for the program, especially being an alum from like our notable like fab five. So I think he's good to have around, but yeah, actions do speak louder than words. We'll see like if his actions show that he has learned from this, but hopefully he won't be the only one learning. Hey man, you already know my transitions got to come in hot for for these. We're going to be learning too on this show. Like we do every episode. With Dave's fun fact, what do you got? As we know, Nike is arguably the biggest sports designer slash retailer in the world. And what is the most iconic thing about Nike? Arguably, it's the logo, the swoosh, right? One of the most recognizable logos in the world. Which led me to think, how did this come to be? So, this happened way back with Phil Knight. Back in the day, 1971, there was this woman named Carolyn Davidson, who was a graphic design student at Portland State University. Uh, Phil Knight started this company called Blue Ribbon Sports, which ended up turning into Nike. Um, Phil Knight knew that this lady was in search of extra, um, extra money. So he asked her to help him out at some pro- on some projects at a rate of $2 an hour. This was 1971, but still that seems low. <laughs> um, so she came up, she ended up coming up with this logo of the swoosh, a check mark that's fluid and indicates movement and speed, which I never thought about before, but makes a lot of sense now that I look at it. Like that's where it, where it came from. After she did some work on it, she handed the design over to Phil Knight for a mere $35. Compare that to today, the Nike logo is worth $26 billion alone. That's a, that's a smart investment right there by Phil Knight. My goodness. And in case you're wondering, this lady, Carolyn Davidson, did end up getting rewarded for this. She got given a bunch of stock in the company, which is... Um, estimated to be over a million dollars worth and they they threw a party for her and all kinds of stuff so she was honored for like creating this thing uh, she ended up doing graphic design work for you know for, like freelance for the next uh 20 30 years after the fact but yeah this graphic design student who just created this logo for 35 bucks ended up becoming one of the most recognizable logos in the world which is now worth 26 billion dollars alone I mean, like you said, great investment. $35 turned in some billions of dollars. You know, that's what we do. Uh, I thought 
Well, I wish it was what we do. That'd be sick. But I was like, is it what we do? I mean, I'm on Robin Hood, but like, it's not going that well. <laughs> like, dang. I'm going to get all my friends and like coworkers and stuff to just like, hey, can you sign this for me? Like, you know, because maybe one of them will get famous and I'll be like, oh, well, I have this like signed Pringles can by my boy Dave. It's now like a big shot. I don't know. Uh, these are my like get rich quick schemes. I thought you were going to, when you started with Nike, I thought you were going to go based on like the name, uh, which comes from like the Greek goddess of victory. Um, But no, you won't logo so i was i was pleasantly surprised that's cool i like it there you go mike also adding to my fun fact in case you didn't know where the name nike came from well now i do so yeah that's the fun fact for this week and that's going to pretty much wrap up the show the last thing that we wanted to do which also just due to timing which number one the nba doesn't factor in our posting schedule for the podcast when it comes to the trade deadline and the NFL also doesn't care about our posting schedule when it comes to the Super Bowl. So the Super Bowl already happened. You know, we, we've we covered the playoffs extensively on this podcast, but this is the first time that we're posting since it actually happened. So we just wanted to say congrats to the Rams uh, and Matthew Stafford, Aaron Donald, all those guys for a well-earned victory. Commiserations to the Bengals and Joe Burrow. Jamar Chase, I'm sure those guys will be back in the playoff hunt for many years to come. Um, but I really enjoyed the game. I thought it was, sure, it wasn't like the most exciting, but we got a close game and that's, you know, that's what matters to me as a neutral uh, without really a, a dog in this fight. But I will also mention that we both picked the Rams to win the Super Bowl and then they did. So like Mike said earlier, it's not every day that we actually pick something correctly on this podcast. So when we do, we will be the ones to tell you that we got it right. You already know we got to boost ourselves up like that. And yet that's twice in this episode that we got to say we were right about stuff. Wow. Crazy. But props to the Rams. You know, I, I was rooting for them, not for any reason against the Bengals other than like, I don't like Eli Apple, but <laughs> who does? Um, the only people uh, who like not Bengals fans. The only people who like Eli Apple are the receivers lining up against him. <laughs> Which on topic, it, I personally enjoyed watching Jalen Ramsey get lit up a couple times, not just in the Super Bowl but in the playoffs. It was always a fun time. Uh, real, real quick though, that no call on the face mask. That was pretty tough. Like you cannot blame mm. Jalen Ramsey for that. That was crazy. Um, the fact that and they have to do something about this. Where on instant replay, it's it's completely obvious what he did, but because there was no flag thrown, they can't like go after the fact and then call pass interference, um, like offensive pass interference on that. So I don't know. To me, the rules need to be changed where they can they can do that because I mean that's that ended up being a, a long touchdown and could have changed the outcome of the Super Bowl on that one play. Yeah, it seems like every season we get plenty of calls like that where, you know, next day it's it's just how how'd the refs miss that? Or even like in the moment. But anyway, yeah, again, congratulations to the Rams. Good to see Stafford win one his first season out of Detroit. I said earlier Detroit sucks. Here we go again. Uh, you leave Detroit. 
you win the Super Bowl if if you're Matt Stafford. It's that simple. (laughs) It's that simple. And now that the Super Bowl is out of the way, we have to talk about how every NFL team did this season or how they're looking going into next season. But that ain't coming now because we do not have time for that right now. We're trying to wrap up the show. We're trying to like close us out, go to bed. So on the next episode, episode 23 of the Mike and Dave podcast, in two weeks, we're going to break down how every NFL team did this season and the direction they're headed going into next season. So be sure to catch that one. And on that episode, we'll be looking back at our NFL preseason tier list, seeing how teams did in comparison to how we thought they'd do. Spoiler alert, the Bengals were pretty far down the list. Um, but we'll look at that as well when we're um, when we're breaking down the NFL season. So you can make sure to check us out um, then. And that'll be two Fridays from now. But until then, as always, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast.